This is a jar of screws and nails, washers, things that you would find maybe at a construction site or on a workbench, because that's exactly what this is. Uh, my mom's dad, so my grandfather, passed away when I was in college. And uh, when we had his funeral, and it was for him, it was most definitely a celebration of life. Uh, my grandma gave me an empty jar and said, hey, Brian, go out to his workbench and take anything that you want and put it in this jar to kind of have as a memory. So I did that. So that's what this is from. Uh, from back when I was in college, went out to my grandfather's workbench and put all kinds of things in this jar. And just so you know, like what this really means to me is, uh, is what he has passed down. Right, so he was, I mean, his workbench was massive. It was the entire garage. He worked with his hands all of his life. He was a farmer, a construction worker, worked with aluminum. He was a carpenter. He did all kinds of things, was very, very hardworking. And what's been neat to see is his work ethic has been passed down the generations. So my dad actually worked for him. So he worked for his father-in-law, learned a trade, learned that incredible work ethic, but also learned faith. My dad wasn't a Christian uh, growing up. And so through who's now my mom and her family, my grandfather, faith became a big part of my dad's life, my mom's life, of course. And so not only did the work ethic get passed down, what's been neat to see is what my grandfather built in regards to faith and a foundation of faith, that also got passed down to my parents and then to me as the grandkids and then seeing that even get passed on down to my kids with Becky and I's kids, right? So it's, it's a work ethic that's been passing. It was so much fun even this last week before the back went out on Friday, we were putting my middle son's bed together. And it's just a no-brainer in our house. Like, our kids help with those things. So I'll teach you how to use the, the screwdriver. We'll teach you how to use the nail gun, like all the fun stuff. Yes, we teach them how to do those things safely for the most part uh, when Becky's looking. And uh, so he got to be part of that because of things that were passed down to me. But most important to my kids is the faith that's been passed down. Right? We all can probably point to something that has been passed down that we love to hold on to, but we also love to pass it on as well. Right? I see the faith of my grandparents to my parents to me and then Becky and I to our kids, but there's a lot of things that we pass down. And those things are not just for us to hold on to. Those are intended to be passed on. There's a very church word, very Christianese word that describes just that in regards to our faith. It's the word discipleship. Discipleship is just that. It is, this is something that grows my own faith. I'm becoming more and more like Jesus, but it's not just for me. It's also for the people around me. So discipleship would say, I'm trying to become more like Christ so that I can show others who Jesus is. Discipleship would say, I'm growing in my faith so I can help somebody else grow in their faith. I'm becoming more like Jesus so that someone else can continue to be more and more like Jesus. That word is discipleship. And we're going to talk a whole lot about it in our new Bible teaching series. Let me kind of show you a passage, something that Jesus says that kind of sets up this whole series, and then we'll dive into our actual study this morning. Luke chapter 10, verse 1, kind of gives the scene, and then we're going to see what Jesus says. Luke chapter 10, verse 1, the Lord now chose 72 other disciples. So not just his 12. These are a lot of other disciples that had faith in him, believed in him, and look what he did. And he sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray. Pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Verse three, now go. Say the word go with me. Now go. 
Now go and remember that I'm sending you out as lambs among the wolves. If you study the gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's Jesus' life and Jesus' teachings. If you study, you'll notice that Jesus gives the great command and then he gives the great commission. The great command is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like it, love your, do you know it? Love your neighbor as yourself. That is known as the greatest commandment. He gave us the great command. But he also gave us the great commission. That's in Matthew chapter 28, where he says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Now I'm giving it to you. And he says, go make what? Do you remember? Make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And he tells us to baptize them, go to all the nations, go to all people and teach them, disciple them, so that they can know who Jesus is. That's what Jesus is preparing to do here in Luke chapter 10. He's saying, that's great that you believe in me. That's great that you have faith in me. That's great that you're growing in your own faith, but it's not just for you. Faith is not intended to just be yours. It is also to be gone through you. God wants to show other people who he is through you. So we grow in our own faith, but we also are sent out, just like Jesus says here. I love kind of this this imagery that Jesus uses. He says, the harvest is great. The harvest is plentiful. In other words, people are hungry and thirsty to know who God is. People are desiring to know who Jesus is and what a real life looks like with him. People are desiring him. He says, people are ready. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. I mean, there's gotta be a lot more people that are not just holding on to faith, that don't just have faith, but are sent out to share that faith. So here's what we're gonna do over the next five weeks. Our new Bible teaching series is gonna kind of focus in on this big word called discipleship. Discipleship meaning, again, I'm growing in my faith so that I can help somebody else grow in their faith. Two things that I'm gonna have us do, and I'll mention this every single week for the next five weeks. The first one Jesus tells us to pray. He says, so Pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. So we're gonna do that. Here's how I'm gonna have us do this. Let me put it up here. Get out your phones. You're gonna need your phones for this part. At 10.02 a.m. every day, if you are willing to, pray this prayer. Lord, send me and send more. If you can understand why we chose 10.02, it's because this is a reminder of Luke chapter 10, verse two that says the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord, pray to the Lord to send more workers out into the fields. So we're gonna do that. Every day as a church body, could we be unified in praying together? I believe there's power in prayer. I also believe there's, there's power in prayer when we do that unified together. So at 10.02, set an alarm. I've got mine set on a Remind app already. Uh, this will be fun for the 9.30 service to see what happens at 10.02, right in the middle of church when all these alarms start going off. Uh, but let that be your cue to pray this prayer. Lord, send me and send more. That's what Jesus was getting at. I'm sending you, but it's not just you. It's gotta be a lot of other people. So let me just kind of unpack that for a quick second so you're understanding the, the, the point of this prayer. Oftentimes when, as Christians, when we pray something like this or your pastor tells you to pray something like this, you get real nervous because you're like, well, like, I don't know if I wanna go be a missionary like overseas or something. That usually is what I get as a, I don't wanna pray that prayer because of that. Could God do that? Most certainly he could. But here's what I tend to see God do. And it's what God even did here in Luke chapter 10. He's sending you to where you are already at. It's the places you already know, but with a different mentality. It's the people you you already have in your life, but with a different purpose. So when you pray this prayer at 1002, send me, maybe God's wanting to send you to your home 
and disciple your kids. Maybe he wants to send you home to disciple your spouse. Maybe he wants to send you to work tomorrow morning to begin to love and encourage and care for and yes, disciple the people at work. Maybe he's gonna send you into your neighborhood. Maybe he's gonna send you to church. Maybe he's gonna send you to Costco to give a word of life and encouragement to the poor person checking you and your 132 items out. I don't know where he's gonna send you, but it's not just a way over there. I bet he sends you someplace you already know of. But it can't just be me and it can't just be you. We're gonna ask him to send a lot more people to continue to go to the ends of the earth to continue to share the good news of Jesus. So will you do that with me? Yes, let me have some nods. Awesome. All right, 10.02 every day, set your alarms. We're gonna be praying that God would send me and send more. The other thing that we are gonna do for the next five weeks is we are gonna study through the book or the letter of 2 Timothy. So if you got your Bibles, go ahead and get over there. We'll be there the rest of the morning. 2 Timothy, there is a 1 Timothy. We'll talk about why second here in just a second. Uh, but 2 Timothy is a great glimpse of what a discipleship relationship looks like. If you grew up in, in the church, you might've even heard a, a preacher, a pastor say, everybody needs a Paul and everybody needs a Timothy. Speaking to these discipleship languages or these discipleship relationships, you need somebody that pours into you and leads you to Jesus, but then you also need to have somebody that you're pouring into and leading to Jesus. And we see that with Paul and Timothy. Paul is mentoring, discipling, getting Timothy ready for what God has for him and who then Timothy is gonna disciple. So as we study each and every week, as we study 2 Timothy, I want this question to constantly go through your mind because I want you to be thinking of, well, is this for me? Like, how does God wanna grow me? I need to grow in my own faith. But also, how can I use what I've learned and studied and grown in to help somebody else? So here's the question I want us all wrestling with and, and thinking of as we study 2 Timothy for the next five weeks. How can I grow to trust Jesus more and, that word and is super important, and lead others to trust Jesus more? That's what I want us constantly wrestling with. So as we study, oh man, that's what I needed. I needed to hear that. God, I need you to continue to do that in me. That was for me today, right? Sometimes you feel like I read your emails. I don't. That's called the Holy Spirit working. So as we study, you might be like, oh man, that's me. And then other times I want you to be thinking, oh, but then how can I help somebody else? How can I share this with somebody else? Who's God put around me that also needs to hear this? So it's for us, but it's also for them. How can I grow to trust, trust Jesus more and lead others to Jesus? Make sense? So that's what we're gonna do. I'll mention that every single Sunday for the next five weeks. Lord, send me and send more. And how, how can I grow in my faith? How can I grow to trust, trust Jesus more and pay attention to the people around me? So 2 Timothy, why 2 Timothy? Well, first, because of the disciple relationship. We see Paul pouring into Timothy. It's a beautiful friendship. It's a beautiful picture of the family of God and how we disciple one another. That's one reason. The other one is 2 Timothy is the last recorded words we have from the apostle Paul. The apostle Paul is in prison technically for the second time and he will be executed and martyred within a year after writing this to Timothy. Paul knows that. He sees kind of the writing on the wall. He knows that his life is coming to an end. And so he is trying to invest and pour into and share as much as he can with Timothy before Paul goes to see Jesus face to face. That's why. If you've got a man like Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this letter, yes, he wrote it to Timothy, but man, we could hear Paul saying the same very things to us and we can learn a lot through how Paul and Timothy had a discipleship 
relationship. So um, if you got your Bibles, like I said, be in 2 Timothy. We'll start in chapter 1. We will not make it all the way through chapter 1 today. Uh, we're going to spend actually a good chunk of our time just in the first couple of verses in the intro. We'll break it up into a few chunks. Remember, what is for me? What is for other people? What do you want to grow in me, God? How do you want me to share this with others? Let's be wrestling with that. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Here's how Paul starts his letter. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I have been sent out. There's that word sent. We're praying for that. I have been sent out to tell others about the life he has promised through faith in Christ Jesus. I'm writing to Timothy, my dear son. May God, the Father, in, may the God, the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Lord, give you grace, peace, and mercy. The reason I want us to hang out here for a second is, uh, again, Paul and Timothy, they had a relationship. They had history together. In fact, if you read in Romans, you'll see Paul mention Timothy. If you read Acts chapter 16, you'll see when Paul met Timothy. You'll see in Acts chapter 20, where Paul actually commissions Timothy to be the leader in Ephesus and to help start the church in Ephesus. You'll see in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, Paul mentions Timothy. In Philippians, at the beginning of that letter, you'll actually see Paul almost co-write the letter to that early church with Timothy. He says, from Paul and Timothy, we write to you. So there's a relationship there. There's history there. Paul doesn't have to give all this. Paul could have easily have said, from Paul to Timothy, now moving to the important stuff. He could have done that. Timothy knew who Paul was. They didn't need a rehash of who Paul was and who Timothy was to Paul. But Paul felt it was important to go beyond just, I'm writing to you. Even notice here, he uses the word apostle. He says, I am an apostle chosen by God. He's giving his purpose. He says, this is why I'm here. This is why I'm writing this letter because I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now the word apostle, we think of that again in very churchy or Christianese terms. Before Christ even, this was hundreds of years before Jesus actually came onto the scene physically. The word apostle, the original Greek word there was a navy word, was a naval word. It was used to describe a cargo ship that would take cargo, take merchandise to another port. They would call that an, an, uh, an, an, an apostle ship. It's a cargo ship taking things from one place to another. Over time, that word apostle started to get used in terms of a messenger, an emissary, an ambassador. I'm taking a message from this king, from this ruler, taking it to another region to explain it and to give it to someone else. And then Jesus comes on the scene. And then within Christian life, we begin to call people apostles that take the good news of Jesus and carry that message to someone else. Here, Paul felt it was super important for everyone to know, this is why I exist, to tell people about Jesus. We also see how personal this is for Paul, specifically Paul, but also for Timothy. Notice how he describes Timothy. Verse two, I am writing to Timothy, my dear son. Now, they are not actually father and son. They are not biologically related. You can read about that, as I mentioned, in Acts 16. In fact, in Acts 16, we get introduced to Timothy's family. We get introduced to his grandmother and his mother and his dad. What we learn, though, is that his grandmother and his mother were believers of Jesus, followers of Christ. His dad was not. His dad was a Greek that followed Greek tradition and Greek religion. And so here, Paul is like filling in that spiritual father figure. He's filling in the gap to help disciple Timothy. But you don't just say this to anybody. You just don't say, my dear son, to anybody. That shows a close and very personal relationship. 
Uh, seminary professor Howard Hendricks, he said it this way. He said, you can impress from a distance, but you can only impact up close. Love that. People that see us far off, if we have a distance, we, we can be impressive. We can impress others by how we carry ourselves and what we do and how we live and what we accomplish. But it's when you get up close to people that you truly have an impact. And again, that is part of the definition of discipleship. You are up close with people. You are in people's lives. People are in your life. They're helping you. They're praying for you. They're carrying each other's, you're carrying each other's burdens. You're both pointing one another towards Jesus. So for Paul, this is personal. He's looking at Timothy like a son and he wants to pass on faith, pass on what it means to love and to live according to God's word. He wants to pass that on to Timothy. A beautiful picture of a discipleship relationship. Last thing to kind of just mention here, if you've got it open, how many times is Christ Jesus mentioned in just the introduction? Like count them up. How many do you see? How many do you see? Talk to me. Three. Yeah, three. In such a short section, in just a couple verses, Paul makes it clear who are we focusing our lives on? Jesus, Christ Jesus, King Jesus, Lord Jesus, Messiah Jesus. This is not just a letter to see how you're doing. This is not just a keep doing well, Timothy kind of letter. This is a letter that has the purpose of sharing the gospel to someone who is learning to share the gospel. And our focus is always on Jesus. See why I said we're not gonna get through the whole first chapter? Like that was just the first two verses. We have a ways to go. Don't worry, I'll get you out on time. That was, that was nervous laughter is what you call that. <laughs> You'll be fine, just listen a little faster. All right, verse three, verse three. Here's what Paul says next. Notice how he leans in. You, you probably know this, but let me say it just in case you don't. The people that are close to you in your life, their voice has a lot of weight. Their voice should carry a lot of weight, but everybody in the world has a voice but not every voice should have as much weight in your life. So what Paul is gonna do, you're gonna see him use his voice and use his relationship with Timothy that carries a lot of weight to lead and encourage Timothy or to disciple Timothy. So notice what he does. Verse three, Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again for I remember your tears as we parted. You can read more on that in Acts chapter 20. And I will be filled with joy when we are together again. I don't know if you've ever had somebody say something like this to you that's like not a family member. It's significant. If you were to have somebody that, that you're not related to look at you or write you or text you and say, just so you know, I thank God for you. And I don't just thank God for you, I pray for you all the time. Not just like we typically say, I'll pray for you. No, like day and night, I'm constantly remembering you in my prayers and I can't wait to see you again. Like those are three beautiful parts of this discipleship relationship where I thank God for you. Paul could have just written, Timothy, you're doing a great job. Timothy, keep it up. Timothy, I'm thankful for you and I appreciate you. It is a whole nother thing to say, Timothy, I thank God for you. How impactful, how life-giving. And let me just turn this around again. What do we need to hear? But then what also do we need to hear for the sake of somebody else? Do you think that way about somebody? 
Is there somebody that God has put in your life that you truly thank God for? Not, not metaphorically speaking, not hyperbole, not exaggerating, but do you truly thank God for them? If so, would you be willing to tell them? Not just thank you, you mean a lot, you've helped me a lot, I appreciate all that you do. No, but genuinely, I thank God for you. That's life-giving. Then Paul says, and I pray for you. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I'm praying for you because Timothy, I know you've got a lot going on and I know you're dealing with a lot and I know you're a young leader in a new place and you don't really know what you're doing and I, I get it. And people are probably saying some things about you and some of them are probably true, some of them aren't. And, and so Timothy, I know it's a whirlwind for you right now and you probably miss your grandma and your mom and your dad and where you grew up. I, I get all that, Timothy. So I'm praying for you. I'm going to the God of the universe, praying for you on your behalf. We talked about intercessory prayer several weeks ago. That's what Paul's doing. I'm praying for you. He says, I wanna be around you. I like you. Let me say this the nicest way I can think of. There are some people in our lives that God gives us that we probably couldn't say this last part to. <laughs> Did I say that okay? Is that we making sense? Right, now that doesn't mean they shouldn't be in our lives because God uses them to grow us and to stretch us, right? Some people call them the EGR people, the extra grace required people, right? <laughs> if you don't have one of those in your life, you might be that person. Just saying, just saying, we'll move on quick. We'll move on quick. So those people are fine. Like you need them in your life, but it's, it's, it's good to also have the people that say, I long to be with you. I can't wait to see you again because I love what God is doing through you and with you and in me and through me. I love being able to talk about those. And like, church, if you don't have someone like that in your life, if you don't have somebody that thanks God for you, if you don't have someone that's praying for you, if you don't have somebody that genuinely longs to be around you as a friend, we're not talking about spouses and kids, and, and well, your kids probably won't say this, uh, but we're talking about friendships. If you don't have those kind of friendships, you are missing out because this is what the family of God looks like. This is what the family of God is intended to be like. And so often, and man, I apologize if I've ever given this, this kind of off as a church, that the church is a place to just show up and attend, go home and then come back next week. Man, I'm sorry if that's what you think we are. We are not that. What we see in scripture and our heart's desire is that we would line up with what Jesus intended the church to be, a family. The church is not just a spiritual gathering. It is. We gather together and talk about spiritual things. Yes. But it's not just that. It is so much more than that. The church is not just a spiritual gathering. It is intended to be a spiritual family. And when you follow Jesus, when you surrender your life to Christ and you said, Jesus, you are my Lord, you're my Savior. I surrender my life to you and he forgives you of our, our sins and he gives you grace and forgiveness. Do you know what else he does? He adopts you into his family. And when you get adopted into the family of God, you immediately gain a worldwide group of brothers and sisters. And that's what we see with Paul and Timothy. That's what brothers in Christ look like. I'm praying for you. I thank God for you. I can't wait to be with you again because of what's gonna happen in the conversations that are focused on Jesus. We're gonna become better disciples of Jesus because of our friendship. Man, if you don't have that, you need it. I need to say this though. If you need that and you want that, please don't come up to me after church and say, Brian, who are you gonna give me? Like, who's my, who's my bestie? Who's my Paul? Who's my Timothy? Like, give me one. 
I'm like, that's not how this works. <laughs> so let me say this. Let me say two things about it. First of all, while you wait for one, be one. So while you're waiting for somebody to do that to you, be that for somebody else. Start there. Second thing I would say to you is we're trying everything we can to help you in that. You know how we say leave a little slower? That's why. You know why we tell you to serve in a kids ministry, student ministry, serve in a Bible study, serve on a greeting team, a parking lot team? Do you know why we say serve? Because you're going to meet other people that are going to help disciple you and you're going to disciple them. So I would begin to ask you some questions. If you're like, man, I want one of these. I'd say, what time do you show up? And what time do you leave? How quick are you out the door? Where are you serving? How often do you attend? Do you sit in the same place every single Sunday at the same service? You should. Now that doesn't mean, hear me, if you show up and somebody's sitting in your seat, do not kick them out of your seat. <laughs> do not do that. We are not that kind of church. Well, pastor told me I had to sit in the same seat, so move. <laughs> sit next to them, behind them, in front of them, be in the same area. Do you know why? You're gonna get to know people. And over time, I believe with all my heart, you're gonna have a discipleship relationship where you both are helping each other become more and more like Jesus. But it's gonna be on you on some level. Don't miss out on that. We are intended to be a spiritual family, not just a spiritual gathering. Then we see in verse five, we see how Paul begins to lean in a little bit more. Here's who we are. Here's how much I care about you. Here's my purpose. Our focus is on Jesus. I'm thanking, I thank God for you. I pray for you. I can't wait to be with you. But here's a few things, Timothy. Verse five, I remember your genuine faith for you share that faith the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. So there's a legacy of faith. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. Also in Acts 20. Verse seven, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline, or you could say self-control. Let me go through this part pretty quick for you. He talks about Timothy's genuine faith, but then he also brings up the people that have kind of helped him in his faith. Once again, that's called discipleship. He brings up his grandma. He brings up his mom. And again, we mentioned why his dad's not mentioned in this section because he was not a follower of Jesus. But before Paul ever began discipling Timothy, Timothy was discipled by his grandma and his mom. Grandparents in the room. Grandparents, thank you. Thank you for your legacy of faith. Thank you for teaching the foundations of Jesus's teachings to your kids, grandkids. And you're going to be the first to say, oh, I'm not perfect. I didn't do it very well back then. I get it. Yeah, that's called growing in your faith. But thank you. The legacy of faith that you give, it allows kids, grandkids, and multiple generations to be like Timothy, where they begin to make their faith their own. That's what Paul's pointing out. I'm thankful for the people that helped you in your faith, discipled you, but Timothy, you had to make this your own. That's what he means by genuine faith. That means a sincere faith. It's not phony. It's not fake. It's not, well, your grandma's faith. No, this is yours, Timothy. Your grandma had a part in it. Your mom had a part in it, but you've now made it your own. We all have to do the exact same thing. Even if your grandparents did, like mine did, gave me a great foundation and a legacy of faith, at some point I had to make my faith my own. My kids are gonna have to do the same thing. As much as Becky and I are leaving them with the foundation of faith, they have to make their faith their own. So Paul points that out, recognizing the people that discipled him, but also saying you have to own your faith. Then he turns a corner in verse six. He said, so here's where you need to work on. 
Notice how he's using his voice, his, his weighted voice. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift that God has given you. Talk to me, what happens if you had a flame, you have a fire, and you never do anything with it? What begins to happen to that flame? It eventually what? It'll die. It dwindles down, doesn't it? So Paul is reminding, as a disciple discipling another disciple, Paul is saying, you need to fan that faith. Fan it into flames, because if you don't touch it, if you just put it on cruise control, if you don't pay attention, if you don't keep taking next steps, it is going to dwindle and eventually go out. Don't let that happen to you, Timothy. Keep fanning your faith. Keep fanning your faith. Keep taking next steps. And then he points out specifically, he says, so, so don't, don't give in to the fear and the timidity. God has not given you that. We are not called to live in fear or live with hesitancy or timidity. And the reason why is, is fear and that hesitancy, it paralyzes us. When, when we give in to fear and the spirit of fear, we stop because we're scared to go forward. When we're timid, we're hesitant to move forward because, well, I don't know how it's gonna work out and I don't know if this is gonna happen. Again, Paul's writing specifically to Timothy. We know some very specific things about Timothy. So Paul might've had in his mind, Timothy, Stop being afraid of what people are going to say. Stop being afraid of what people are going to think. Timothy, don't be afraid that you're too young or too inexperienced or you're not mature enough. Don't be timid because you're in a new place. Don't be hesitant because you don't know as many people yet. Like, I feel like those could be very specifics. What would he be saying to you? Where is your fear holding you back in your faith? Where is your hesitancy holding you back in your faith? God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but notice what God has given us, power, love, and self-discipline or self-control. Where fear and timidity hold us back, power, love, and self-control move us forward. And it's not from us, it's from God. God has given you and me and Timothy a spirit of power to overcome any obstacle that comes on our way, to endure any hardship, to pursue God at all costs, to do what we normally wouldn't be able to do, to give us the patience and the endurance. That's the spirit of power. It moves us forward no matter what. Love, a spirit of love causes us to be moved with compassion as we love and serve other people. He's given us a spirit of love to move us forward, to love those that nobody else loves, to love those that are difficult to love, to love those even our enemies. That we would serve and love, we would live out the great commandment. And then he says a spirit of self-discipline and self-control. That is to move forward in the right direction. <laughs> it's to keep us from going in the wrong way or the wrong direction or backsliding or moving backwards. He's like, no, these are all gonna help you move forward in your faith. So fan your faith. Don't be held back. Don't be paralyzed, but move forward. Or as we say around here a ton, what's your next step? How do you keep fanning your faith so that it doesn't become stagnant, it doesn't dwindle, but it moves forward? So as we study 2 Timothy, the two things we should be thinking about, what's for me and what's for others. So let's do that right now. Here's the first part of that. What is the Lord working on within you? What was something that we read just in the first seven verses that you're like, oh man, that was for me. Maybe it had to do with the spiritual family discussion. I mean, I need some people in my life that are pouring into me and I need to be willing to pour into others. Maybe that's it for you. Maybe the fear and hesitancy struck a nerve. Maybe it's you feel like your faith has kind of dwindled down. It feels kind of stagnant and dwindling. It's not out. Fan your faith into flame. Take some next steps. 
How are you trusting Jesus more? What is, the, what is the Lord working on within you? Second question we always want to wrestle with as we study 2 Timothy is what does this mean for somebody else? Who has the Lord put around you? The Lord's working in you, but who has he already put around you? That goes back to our prayer out of Luke chapter 10. Who's God put around you that you can be a Paul to? That you can give life through your words to? That you can encourage, you can challenge. Hey, remember this. Remember no matter what you're going through, you have because of God, the spirit of power. So you're gonna make it through this. God has given you the spirit of love. So I know this person's difficult right now, but you can love them through it because of what Jesus has done for you. And I know we get pulled in so many different directions and temptations are a real thing. And we're constantly fighting the struggle of our sin, but God has given you, he has put in you the spirit of self-control and self-discipline. So I believe in you. Oh, those words that you would give to somebody as Paul gives them to Timothy is life-giving. That's what it looks like to be a disciple that makes disciples, to be discipled, to focus on this word of discipleship. Last thing I want to leave you with, I want you to see in Acts chapter 16 how Paul and Timothy met, and then I'll pray this out. Acts chapter 16, verse 1, Paul went, if you're going to went, you got to be sent. So that word sent is so important for us through this series. This whole thing started because Paul was sent. So Paul went first to Derby and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was Greek. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium. Look at verse three. So Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. Let that sink in. Paul wanted Timothy to join the rest of them on their journey. Who is this for you? So Brian wanted, fill in the blank, to join them on his spiritual journey. Who can you bring along as you're stumbling in the right direction, as you're growing in your faith, as you're still learning and studying? None of us are perfect. Who do you want to join you on your journey? And how can you invest in them and pour into them as a fellow brother and sister in Christ? May discipleship be the word on our hearts, not just for the faith that we have, but for the faith that God is calling us to help others have as well. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for all that you are doing in me and in our church. Thank you for the faith that you have given us. We know that you are the author and the perfecter of our faith, so it comes from you. But God, may our faith not end with us. May it, yes, may we have faith, but may it also be shared with the people around us. So God, would you continue to grow us, point out things in us, teach us, increase our faith, strengthen our faith, but also give us people that we can pour into, that we can invest in, that we can disciple. In Jesus' name, amen.